Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hey, welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. I'm Chris Stemp. Thanks for joining us. I'm excited for this one. There's a few reasons why. First, our guest this week is from Switzerland, and that's just a place I want to go. I hear they have beautiful scenery, and plus the accent is always cool to talk to somebody like that. I also love talking to people from other countries because it helps expand my global view And hopefully you all feel the same, especially because this podcast is downloaded in almost every country in the world. So it's always fun to kind of connect on a global basis. Second, we're talking creativity, which is always a good time. And lastly, we're talking about creativity in a way I've never really done before. And that is the history of creativity. It's the history and it's also how or why creativity has mostly been done by Western civilization throughout time. I'm talking before the United States, all that, and why that is. What is it about Western culture over our history that has really pushed the creative boundaries? And how is it that now we actually run the risk of becoming less creative, given our social structures, political structures, etc. Definitely an interesting conversation, went a different route than I expected, but that's always a good time. So this week we're talking to Lars Tvide. Okay, I hope I pronounced that right. I asked him like six times how to pronounce his last name. 
Lars is the author of the new book, The Creative Society, How the Future Can Be Won. He's a serial entrepreneur and author of numerous books on subjects ranging from economics, financial markets, and the future. He holds a master's degree in engineering and a bachelor's degree in international commerce. It was also fun for the first part of the episode we talk about being an entrepreneur and how that's creative, but all the problems that come along with it. That's always a fun subject. And then we talk about the history of it and kind of the global geography, if you will, of creativity. So hope you enjoy it. Remember, if you're enjoying the show, I mean, we're always happy to hear about it, but make your thoughts public. Head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. And if you're thinking about starting a podcast and need some help, you can always connect with John and I at consulting.smartpeoplepodcast.com. Here it is, an episode from around the world with Lars Zvide. Lars, thanks so much for being on the show. As this being the Smart People Podcast, obviously creativity is something that is always at the forefront of many of our minds. And I'm excited to talk not only about creativity, but how the West is kind of losing it. So thanks for being on the show. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So first, um, before we get into that, give us a little bit about your background. I know from what I've read, it's it's extremely interesting. You know, I've heard serial entrepreneur, which always intrigues me. So tell me about uh, kind of what's going on there. Well, I, I'm an engineer and an economist and um, started in marketing and then quite quickly I went into finance. Uh, so I became um, a, a trader. I've uh, been sitting at trading desks and uh, been heading trading desks and been a corporate trader also. Uh, but then I started uh, founding companies with friends. So I founded different uh, startup companies and satellite communications, mobile data, internet uh, technology and so on. And uh, also in property companies, one investment company. So yeah, a serial entrepreneur. I like to be in a company until they uh, start a human resources. Uh, <laughs> but that's when I check out. And, and why is that the usually the time where you leave? It's it's because what what attracts me about um, startups is the newness and the fact that there's no politics mm-hmm. and uh, and you can make decisions very very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, simply because there's no time to discuss uh, endlessly whether to go right or left. You know, people just act, and that's fantastic. Absolutely. One of the things I always wondered is how do you start a company in so many different areas? If and maybe it is, but if it's not your background. So if you are a trader, you're in finance. How do you go into things like satellite communications and all these different areas? It, it's it's not it's not a first of all it's not a part of a plan. It's just something that happens that suddenly I'm in a situation where something becomes possible, and I can see a demand, a need for a solution. I'm not necessarily the one who can deliver the solution, um, but I know the people who can. And then the, the the procedures, the processes of starting the companies, I find, are fairly similar. Hmm. Uh, so. It doesn't matter that the products are quite different. That's really interesting. I never thought of it like that. What would you say are the um, – because for many people, the idea of being an entrepreneur or starting a company and starting a company in something as confusing as maybe technology or data, you know, as opposed to just starting a company selling mouse pads, what is it that makes you successful at starting companies in various industries? 
my I'll give you an example. My daughter, she started a company when she was 19 years old when she sells hair bands. And, and that's like three years ago. And now she has 50 employees. So she has like the simplest product you can imagine wow. and enormous success with that. And for some reason, most of the things I started are super complicated. And it becomes very different because if you work with something that's super complicated, you cannot wait uh, until it's finished to get revenue. You have to do some uh, to sell something before you really have the final product finished. So you start selling consulting and solutions, professional services while you are building this big, big thing you want to launch. So um, I wish I had, sometimes I wish I had uh, gone into hair bands instead of soap. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's always interested me as well. So do you think that your daughter kind of, she got that from you? She saw what you did and said, oh, I can do this? I think, I think she got the, the, the ambition to start something because I and, and most of my family's uh, friends, we are we're all entrepreneurs. So, you know, it's, it's, since she grew up, she's always heard this discussion over the dinner table about, you know, starting companies. So we never asked her or, or expected. I was, you know, super surprised, but we never really expected she would do that. But that came very natural. You know, it's interesting. One of the questions I had for you later on, and as we kind of transition into creativity, but I feel like this is a, a good intro, is creating, say, a hairband isn't something that takes enormous creativity. However, the business itself might. It, so this is something if people haven't been in, in business, they don't often don't get. That is how many complicated situations you get out of doing something that sounds really uh, mm. simple. Like you get channel conflict. Uh, you, uh, you're people who don't want to pay unless they get this and that feature. And you have to explain them that, yeah, you can get this and that feature. However, it will cost more than you want to pay. And all these things that involve psychology and legal issues and so on. Mm. Building, our, building our company, my, my sense now that I've done it so many times is yet it's like a football player. You're, you're dribbling the ball and you have the eyes on the ball. It's really, really complicated and you make decisions all the time, really, really quick decisions. And you kind of don't notice if you're winning. In a sense that suddenly you look up and you realize that you're clear in front of the goal. Uh, at least I've had that. That Every day is just 200 problems you have to deal with. You're just dealing with an endless list of problems. And then suddenly you re- sometimes you realize that, that, that you're, you're losing your game. But some, sometimes you realize, wow, we're actually winning in a big way. But, <laughs> but <laughs> my daily life doesn't feel like that. It's just problems. It's so good to hear that. And I'll tell you why in a minute. But before I put my kind of uh, input in on this, what makes – then why be an entrepreneur? Why is that fun if it sounds like a day full of problems? It, because, you, because you decide yourself. So, yeah, all these problems land on the table, but you don't have to go in to call a meeting and sit and get a consensus about how to do, deal with it. You play yourself. Mm. So um, it's, it's the, the pleasure of dealing with things directly, how you think they should be dealt with. gives you an enormous uh, feeling of freedom and power. And even though you, know, you work much, much harder normally in a startup than you would do in most other uh, jobs, it doesn't feel as hard, though. That's my experience because you have that freedom. You, you feel empowered. It's so funny. So I'm, that this is what I was going to get into. So as many people listening know, I helped found a nonprofit in 
in D.C. And although it's a nonprofit versus a for-profit, almost the exact same issues. I mean, it just is. And I do feel like that every day, more problems than I can handle, more than I can deal with. I think about it nonstop, but I keep coming back. And even my wife asks, like, this seems like it torments you. Why are you doing it? And I can't necessarily answer it other than it's the first time in over a decade that I felt like I'm living life and work on my terms. Yeah, this this is the thing that you can, you don't have this clutter. You don't have to fight through this other people trying to stop you. You can do what you want. Even if what you want is wrong, yeah. you can do it. Yeah, that's the thing. Like you come up with a problem and you go, here's what I think the solution is. And then just do it. And the the curve, the learning curve is so fast. And and the, I like the analogy you gave playing football, or as we'll call it in America, soccer. And you, you're in front of the goal because you don't realize what your company has accomplished until you're telling it to someone else. And they go, wow, that's amazing. Congratulations. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you get really surprised when suddenly journalists get interested in you and they ask, about your company and then you get at least our experience that I get completely shocked at how they see my company because my company is just problems, problems and right. they see they see it as this fantastic thing. But it's not always like that. Right. Right. Well, and I'm glad we, we talked there because entrepreneurialism is always a buzzword and it's interesting and you know, it's one of those things that requires creativity. So I wanted to kind of talk about how did you then make this this transition almost into writing this book called the creative society, how the future can be won. What was the reason for doing so? Okay. So actually, um, writing is not new to me because I've been writing books since I was quite young, uh, partly as a, as a way to learn. Um, if, if I think something is important and I can't find a good book about it, then I, I think it's fun if I could write the book myself. Uh, in this specific, uh, case, I did a keynote speech, speech at the Danish uh, Growth Fund's annual assembly. That's 1,300 entrepreneurs and investors come together. And then um, I was out there speaking about creativity and the West. And then there was um, an, an editor from a publisher came and said, could you write some of this in a book? This is quite a, quite a lot number of years ago. But I didn't have time. But then the same thing happened a few years later, and somebody else from the same publisher came and asked, "Can you write something about this in a book?" And then I did have the time. And the reason I wanted to write that book was that I had read another book by Charles Murray, um, American scientist, uh, called "Human Accomplishment," where he uh, he described a research project where he and up to fifty co-workers. They had been sitting and reading encyclopedias uh, from, I think it was 163 encyclopedias from all over the world. The reason they did that was they wanted to find out who was mentioned. So then they recorded who was mentioned and then they plotted into maps in time and space where these people were at different times when they made their contributions to math, to physics, to music, to poetry and so on. And it turned out, among other findings, that 97% of all the people they could find in all the encyclopedias from all the world were from the West. So that means the West, you know, the West today is Western Europe, United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, a few more places. 
typically during the last uh, during the time where all these uh, accomplishments have been made, the West has not been more than ten percent of the world population. Hmm. So think about that. So ten percent of the world population make ninety seven percent of the innovation. That means that ninety percent makes three hmm. percent. So there's something really unique about Western civilization, and we kind of know it. I mean, the, 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 I think everybody knowledgeable in the world uh, have some awareness that the West has been quite creative. In Asia, they are certainly catching up very fast. They're also very conscious about it, that they need to do more. Uh, but uh, Japan, China, South Korea, and so on, have certainly been catching up very fast. So they're very interested in, in it. And my book's coming out in Chinese. So that, that also shows that they're really wow. interested in this uh, subject. So I, I, I began looking into why is that? So what, what happened that made us so creative? And the first thing that caught my mind was that if you go back a thousand years, uh, the West was, the, at that, a thousand years back, uh, the West was only Western Europe. This was 2% of the world's landmass that, you know, nobody, people had not left Western Europe left yet. Something, uh, happened there. But a thousand years ago, Western Europeans were poor. They were, they were probably more poor than Africans. When in the medieval age, when they made paintings of, uh, from Africa or of Africa, they painted Africans as really rich people. They considered Africans more rich than themselves. Wow. So they were surely more poor than Asians. They were about the same level as American Indians and South, you know, South American Indians. Then something between now, between a thousand years ago and today, something really weird happened. And I was, was looking into that. So, um, you know, J.R. Diamond, uh, famous author, he has written uh, books about this. And he said, oh, it's because uh, you had this fertile crescent, which is uh, Europe and parts of Asia, that had really good animal and plant species that you could cultivate, so that explains it. I just, I, I, he has some other explanations that he says it's easier to travel in that area than it has been in, in some other areas. I just don't get, why would that explain it since Western Europe was poor, really poor a thousand years ago? There, there must be something else. So another explanation is that Western Europe has really good rivers, uh, and really good uh, natural harbors and, and uh, great seas to sail in, which is true. So the rivers in Western Europe, they don't dry out in the summer like the Africans do. They don't flow over. They don't have waterfalls. You can actually, you can sail in. I've done it myself, Felicia. You can sail in from the sea right into Paris, for instance. I sailed from Paris to the sea, but that's uh, about the same. The Vikings did it and then they plundered. But so great rivers, great, great opportunity to sail and trade. And trade is very, very important for Creativity, because as Steve Jobs said, creativity is mostly just that you see two things you can combine in a new way. Mm -hmm. So you need trade to to become creative. But that still doesn't exp explain why the West was so so far behind and then became so far ahead. So something must have changed. And then by com complete coincidence, I was uh, I, I I found out what it was. So I'd actually submitted an eight hundred page manuscript to the Danish publisher without describing what was really the main thing. And then I, I sent it to them and I wrote to them, sorry, I need to redo it because I <laughs> totally missed the main thing. 
So the main thing is what happened with the nation states. After the Roman Empire fell in around year 470, Europe disintegrated into at one point 5,000 different city states. Can you imagine that 5,000 uh, city states in a, such a tiny area? Wow. And then parts of it started consolidating. So Spain, Eastern Europe, uh, most of France, south, southern Italy became some consolidated in bigger states. But there was a belt that included northern Italy and Switzerland and what we today call Germany, the Netherlands, England, which remained completely decentralized for about 500 years. But when I say it's completely decentralized, it means that some parts of Germany, every city-state was so small that you could walk around it in half a day. And then I, I looked at the maps of where all this human creativity had happened in each time increment, and I compared it to the shapes of the states. And I found that it almost only happened when you had small city-states. As soon as a nation became consolidated, it became big, it became centralized, the creativity dropped. So that did not happen in China. It did not happen in the Ottoman Empire, in the Islamic area. It, it, it was a really unique development. And so that, it was that change that certainly made Western Europe so incredibly creative. And then from 1604, the, the Brits started populating North America, uh, which explained why you're there, I guess. <laughs> and, and then they started populating Australia, New Zealand, and so on. And they took these creative ideas with them. Mm. And so the message in that is that I think whether, whether you have a company or a society, if you want creativity in some of your activities, you need to find ways to decentralize. Oh, I see. So it's not the only thing you need to do, but you certainly need to do that. And people, people kind of know that. In big companies, for instance, in Switzerland, where I live, you have these huge pharmaceutical companies. And they have, they have largely made the decision. They said that our global marketing needs to be centralized for many reasons, including illegal. But our product development shouldn't be too centralized. Mm -hmm. So in product development, they... A big conscious part of the strategy is always to follow a lot of small companies that are developing different things. And then you buy them when they, they seem to be close to having something that can be launched or even after. So they're aware of that. Take another example, best in the world perhaps, is, is Apple. So Apple, um, they have centralized their marketing. They have also centralized building their core platform. But when it comes to applications, they have institutionalized decentralization, which means that they say, okay, we, we're not supposed to figure out all the applications you can make for such a device. We make an app store. We invite the whole world to make that. And within three years, they had like you know, around one million different applications on the app store. And this is what Nokia didn't do. So Nokia, they wanted to do it, most of it themselves. And so they fell far behind. So there are so, there are so many uh, companies that are now realizing that if they decentralized everything that, that requires creativity, they will really they will get much more creativity. And they use crowdsourcing techniques for that. Where, where we really have a problem, though, is that the states don't seem to get it, or even if they get it, they are not able to really implement it. So states keep centralizing everything. Oh, okay. St okay. Now let's take a break for a moment from our sponsor this week. 
This episode is brought to you by lynda.com, the only learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. For a free 10-day trial, visit lynda.com slash smart people. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash smart people. Lynda.com is for you, for listeners of this show. It's the problem solvers, the curious, people who want to make things happen. Maybe you want to master Excel, learn how to negotiate, build that new website, or boost your Photoshop skills. Go to lynda.com and feed your curious mind. There's a few courses I really recommend on there, one being Growth Hacking Fundamentals. Another new one I just checked out is Learning to Be Assertive and Going Paperless Start to Finish. There's so many benefits to a lynda.com membership, such as watching and learning from top experts, streaming thousands of videos on demand, and learning at your own pace. Your lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics, anything you can think of, all for one flat rate. Whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to try something new, I want you to visit lynda.com slash smart people and sign up for a free 10-day trial. It's free. Why not? That's l-y-n-d-a dot com slash smart people. Now back to the show. In general, now why, when you say that, in what sense do states do that? They are, you could say Europe, uh, where, where I live. Uh, now, fortunately, Switzerland is not a part of the EU, but the EU has been uh, consolidating more and more power. So, uh, different the populations and the membership member states they voted to get into EU on the promise of free trade, free movement of capital and of people. So that that this was kind of the promise was similar to what the the rivers did for Europe in the medieval age. You know that we have movement, freedom. And uh, they've done that. They really delivered that. But then once they have this, uh, virtually you know, completed that mission, they went on and said, oh, by the way, we want to centralize and, and harmonize, as they say, uh, social regulation and lots and lots of regulations. So in many European nations now, more than half of the laws that are implemented in a country is because the, the EU dictates that. Mm. So it's it's there's been a mission creep. So now it's it's an attempt to create the United States of Europe, which uh, many of the Europeans don't want at all. Right. Okay. And that actually makes a lot of sense. Now, one of the things I think about is obviously this means I'm assuming you're against regulation. In, in I mean, does that is that a fair statement or assumption? Well, I'd, I'd, I'd say that in, in the Bible they had ten rules, and I think that was a bit on the low side. Uh, <laughs> But last year in the United States, they made more than 100,000 pages of new rules, and okay. I think it's very much on the high side. Yep. So I, I think when, when you, if you want, you want to make it easy and possible for people to make right choices, you can do it through regulation, but you can also, so regulation can be very firm. There's an example in Australia where they had extremely complicated descriptions of uh, old people's homes, how that should look. How the window should be, and so on. And then they 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 tried the alternative, which is they just described that it should have a homely atmosphere and respect people's digni- uh, uh, dignity. And that worked much better. So you can you can have much broader uh, descriptions of what needs to be achieved instead of of, of uh, describing it in detail. 
But there's a third way, which is, you say, we don't describe it at all. Uh, we just leave it to the market. And this is, this is uh, you can compare that to the App Store on the Apple device. So, of course, to be on the Apple App Store, you cannot have virus. And, uh, you know, it cannot be obscene and so on. But apart from that, you know, everything goes. And then people can just vote with the feed. In Switzerland, we have um, private healthcare. So um, you have to be, you, every, it's kind of a hybrid between what you have in America and in what you have in Scandinavia mm-hmm. and Singapore, perhaps. You have to sign up for private healthcare, um, but you can choose between a lot of different companies. And when you are ill, you can choose where you want to be treated and mm-hmm. how. So you have all this freedom. You can vote with your feet. So the money follows the citizen, doesn't follow the institution. The, the government does not necessarily give money. Sometimes they do, but they don't have to give money to any hospital. They give money to the citizen, and the citizen chooses where to go. And so much of the things that where we use laws, we could instead use the market, and then people could vote with the feet. Just take Uber. So it's, do you say, do you call it Uber or Uber? Uber. Uber, okay. Yep. Sometimes I hear because in yeah. German, it's Uber. But uh, there's no description. They have a very, very light description of what it takes to be a driver there. You have, I think you have to be 21 years, no, uh, you know, not a criminal. Mm-hmm. You have to have a driver's license and, and, and a decent car. It doesn't describe in any detail how the car has to look or what you, how you have to be, behave and so on. But people can vote with a feed and, and, and you have mutual rating. And, and for that reason, my experience in Europe now is that you get a much better service in an Uber than in a normal taxi. Oh, because, yeah. yeah. And it's cheaper too. And so in, in public services, you could do the same. You could say, okay, there are some basic requirements to do it, to deliver education, to deliver healthcare, and so on. Uh, we don't want witch doctors and... Uh, religious indoctrination and some limits. But apart from that, you know, you have your coupons, you can go out and get it. And uh, you have to rate your experience and the doctors and the nurses have to rate you, their experience with you perhaps also. Um, and, then, and then the market will, will, um, will direct it and that will create creativity. Right. And I mean, and, and I think there's a lot to be said, especially as you mentioned, Apple and Uber are great examples. But isn't there also something that is that's following the logic of say the um you know the the free market economy and that markets regulate themselves but I think there's been a number of times in history where that's proven not to be true maybe specifically recently in financial markets or housing markets and that's where I know a lot of people think that's where their minds go when they think of regulation it's that you also have these sectors that aren't really concerned, in my opinion, with adding value to on a global or national level, but only concerned with adding value in their own pockets and use the argument of deregulation and free markets to, to exploit that. Uh, yeah, so I think just with the recent uh, economic crash uh, and with the housing crash in the United States, that there were, there were errors both on the public sector side and the private side because there was a there was a demand for for banks to accept risky investments and then sell them on to Fannie Mae and so on. So, but that I think that's that's just a detail. What what is important is that you have market failure and you have government failure. 
And so for sure, you have some market failure that needs to be addressed by government. The most obvious example is pollution. So somebody can make money in a company that pollutes like crazy, but if they had to clean up their own pollution, they would actually have lost money. Mm-hmm. That doesn't work. So that's not unacceptable. The government has to be to step in. But the government also makes a lot of failures. So the way I think about politics is this. I can be a, I can think like a socialist or collectivist, or I can think like a conservative, or I can think like a libertarian. These are three mindsets. And I think it's very good to understand the rationale between, behind all three. And then think about it like if you want to make a cocktail. I want to make a gin tonic with a piece of cucumber. That's like I take some gin, I take some some tonic, some cucumber, and I, I find the mix that makes it really delicious. So when we consider society, there's some issues where a libertarian mindset works really well, some where a conservative works well, mm. some where a collectivist works well. Me personally, I'm probably 80% libertarian, but there are some issues where I'm conservative and there are also some where I'll be collectivist. One of the things I, I wonder, I was just talking to my cousin who, he's a trader on Wall Street, he's very much you know, uh, pro-markets, you know, deregulate. And one of the things we were saying is when you cut down to a lot of the common sense issues, at least in our opinion, I don't mean to get political here, but it's happening in terms of like, you know, um, we need less guns and people should be able to marry who they want. And, you know, just a lot of these things that are fairly standard and it, it even sounds like I'm talking to you. I've never talked to you in the past. We're on opposite sides of the globe. Almost you have similar views on a lot of these things. It almost seems like there are a lot of people who agree with this, yet we are unable to change the status quo. Is there a reason behind that 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 you can tell us through your research? Yeah, there, there is. Uh, there is a natural tendency for power to get consolidated, so power gets concentrated spontaneously. And if you look back through history, uh, there have been about two hundred different empires. Because if you go into Wikipedia and, and uh, check empires you'll get a list of about 200 empires. They're all gone. So they're all gone because empires, they collapse from within. They destroy themselves hmm. through over-regulation, over-taxation, because they stop being created and so on. So it's, it's very, very difficult once you have built up a, conf- a complex power structure full of laws to stop that. Even a p- politicians who get, get elected on the promise that they will you know, cut government, deregulate. You check four or five years later what they've done. They haven't done it because they couldn't get it done. They can talk about it, they can dream about it, but it's really, really difficult to get it done. So I think that I've been thinking a lot about how do we get out of this problem because the problem is building up all the time in every Western uh, nation, also in many other nations. And I think the best way is to decentralize. Now, as I said, I live in Switzerland. Switzerland is actually an interesting nation. I have looked, I've, I've looked at different comparisons between the success of nations and looked at which countries are actually the, the best countries in the world. I'll give you some examples. The Human Development Index, the Environmental Performance Index, the Good Country Index, the Where to Be Born Index. So I, I took like 10, 12 of these top indices that indicate how well-functioning good countries are. And I just looked at which countries tend to get out on top. 
So the one country that comes out as number one in the world in half of them is Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And Switzerland, and all the ones I looked at, is never less than number three. So Switzerland is in a class of its own. The other ones that come up really high are Canada, Australia, Scandinavian nations, Holland, um, a few more. Uh, most of them are small. They also, uh, and Credit Suisse made a study where they compared the success of, of big nations and small nations. And they found there's a systematic ten tendency the small nations do better than big nations. And they also found that if, if a big nation gets split up, after it gets split up, its, its former its constituents will do better than they did before and they will do better than other nations around them. So there's a very strong indication that small nations do better than, than good ones, but also that decentralized nations, irrespective of size, do better than the ones that are centralized. Mm. Switzerland has implemented the closest, it's probably the closest to a libertarian uh, model that exists in the Western world. The government has eight ministers. It runs 11% of the economy. There's no capital gains tax where I live. The, the top marginal tax rate is 21%. Um, there's a VAT, it's 8% on common goods, 25 on food and medicine. You, there's very, very little tax, very little government. And I have, I've lived here 21 years and never received a letter from the government. Never. Wow. So I wonder, from time to time, I've been, I receive a letter from the Canton, which is the local society. Canton is tiny. So what they have done in Switzerland, I don't think it was really part of any great central plan or philosophy, but they maintained the medieval structure of city-states. And they've done that right up to this day because they're so bloody conservative. They don't change it. And this medieval structure where everything is decentralized works really well. So now I'll give you one other comparison, which is the Global Innovation Index. And which country do you think would be highest on that? Oh, man. Innovation? Let me, let me just tell you something. I stop anybody on the street in Switzerland and ask them, they would say United States. Right. And I, I would want to say that, but I got a feeling that's not the answer. So that's I don't know. <laughs> Okay, it's Lesotho. No, uh, that was a joke. No, it's Switzerland. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, what does that uh, mean, though? Like global, because you don't see Apple or Amazon or Facebook or any of those coming out of Switzerland, right? How, how much do you expect for, from eight million people? No, that's true. Yeah, lot, um, they do a lot more in uh, pharmaceuticals and machine tools and so on. Mm. But you know, these statistical measures of, of applied creativity—they actually come up on top. So, uh, of course, you can, this can be disputed, but, um, but I think to, if you have, you have a, a nation, like my, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Danish national, Denmark is, has not 11% the government, but 56%, and it's completely granted to a halt. It doesn't, the, the economy cannot move anymore. So what they could do in Denmark was that they could say, okay, we keep everything as it is, but we just decentralize. So we just let every small region take care of how they want to take it from here. If they did that, every small region, I bet, would start being much more rational. They would start being more competitive. They would experiment, and the cost would go down a lot. Mm. And they would compete with each other. Like in Switzerland, they really, really compete with each other every canton. Yeah, they fight. They fight. And now a quick word for one of this week's sponsors. This week's episode is brought to you by Igloo. Igloo is an intranet you'll actually like. It's a cloud platform that can help you do your best work. 
share files, blog updates, coordinate calendars, and manage projects. It's easy to use and easy to configure, even for the most non-technical of users. And it's built using responsive design, which means that everything you can do at your desk, you can now do on the go, on your phone or tablet. The responsive design is meant to look great on all of your devices. Whether you're a large enterprise stuck using SharePoint or a fast-growing business overwhelmed by apps, create an intranet that matches your brand's look and feel, simplifies how you work, and is accessible on your phone. We've talked about Igloo for weeks. Igloo is absolutely amazing. It's helped streamline the podcast process for Chris and I. You 100% should check it out. Sign up now and try it for free at igloosoftware.com slash smartpeople. That's igloosoftware.com slash smartpeople and invite up to 10 of your favorite coworkers to try it with you. And now back to the episode. It's really, I, I love thinking about it now. I, I mean, this is why I love this podcast because it definitely opens my mind and and I love talking to people globally. But when you think about America, right, the United States, so a bunch of states supposed to be united. So there's power at the state level and then power at the, the national level. And it creates this, this divide um, that's so difficult because instead of states trying to compete with each other, oftentimes they're just trying to lobby for somebody to be in Congress or, you know, the next president so that they can reap some of the financial rewards. But if that power was maybe perhaps a little um, less centralized in the, the national government and more on the state level, perhaps they would innovate more in terms of because they can look out for their, you know, their small state. Yeah, in, in, in the EU, they actually have something called the subsidiarity principle, which means that the EU should not deal with anything that cannot be dealt with equally well on a local basis. However, they don't respect it. In Switzerland, they have it and they respect it more. Mm. So in, in Switzerland, the, the government is not allowed to take to deal with issues that can be handled locally. So that means that every canton they have their own police force, they have their own uh, school system, they have, they, you know, they, you have a, a minimal car tax here every year. They, each of them, they can determine their own car tax and so on. So they do it, they find out everything themselves and they look at each other and somebody does something clever, the other ones copy it. And, but you have the same, I mean, uh, United States is United States. This is a federation just like Germany is. Mm-hmm. So you have the experimentation. New Hampshire has extreme has no inco- no local income tax. That's right? true. Yeah, and and like Florida, I think doesn't have income tax. And then you have California, which has very high taxes on a lot of things. So there is that that differentiation. Yeah, but then California has charter cities, right? They have cities that can choose their own legislation. Yep. Yep. So you have this experimentation going on, and and uh, if you didn't. I'm not sure America would work. Right. So you're saying, and again, I, I asked this, A, because I live here, and B, because a lot of the listeners are from America, but it's it's a good idea or a good setup not perfectly executed, but at least it's better than one massive centralized country. Like a Roman Empire. Yes, exactly. Actually, <laughs> actually the Capitol and, and these buildings and the name Senate and so on is all modeled over the Roman Empire. So that's a... <laughs> So there's always been some admiration for the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. but we should not forget that the Roman Empire fell apart from within. Right. Uh, they were overrun by small, small crowds of wild uh, Germanic people 
they had they could collapse from within much before that. So yeah, we should just we should always bear in mind if that decentralization is actually really strong. That's why the internet works. Yes, it's deliberately decentralized. And think about this: in we all remember the the Greek. Uh, antiquity has been fantastic. That's where they had these scientists, the first scientists. They had uh, they invented the ideas of free speech, uh, freedom to assembly, democracy, blah blah blah. All this that we learn in school, amazing. That that period where they did all this lasted about fifteen generations. And so I looked in, into why did they did do that all that then. And then nothing after. And why do we have to bail them out all the time? Now? Right. And so it turns out during that period where they were so crazy, it, there was not a nation called uh, Greece. Greece was seven hundred to a thousand city states spread over the the area that we call Greece, plus parts of southern Italy and uh, along the mid Mediterranean coast. What happened after that was that they became centralized. So Alexander the Great he made them into an empire. Maybe some people felt great about that, but he killed the Greek civilization by doing that. Mm. And then afterwards, they became part of the Roman Empire, then part of the Byzantine Empire, then part of the Ottoman Empire, and that destroyed everything. Being part of empires, so again, it's the same story. When there were city states. That could uh, decide independently. That were competing. That were cooperating. Um, they were very creative. As soon as you centralize, it stops. Well, what about? And I keep going back to this because I think about it from you know my perspective and the American perspective. We all hear about the um, the the inequality gap, right? The the gap between the rich and the poor, and so these taxes and kind of the the larger government and all that is in theory supposed to minimize that gap. So if we were to really, as you were talking about lower taxes and, 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 you know, be decentralized that it would take care of itself somehow, or would the powerful just then reign as say Kings of their own state, as opposed to we have the one large national government. Yeah. So just uh, about the, about the powerful, I'm in favor of antitrust regulation. I think most libertarians, uh, all libertarians, would be that because you, you don't you don't want to have um, because of a network effect that one company simply runs everything. Right. But uh, and then a little remark about inequality. So the global inequality has declined a lot. Also, yes. recent, also recently. So it's when people talk about inequality, it's not about the global inequality. Uh, it's, it's falling really, really fast. It's about the it's national inequality, which over the last 200 years has also declined, but over the last 30 years it has increased. Mm. So I think that's, uh, that this is due to temporary factors and the long-term trend is probably flat from here. But um, these are just some general remarks about your question. But, yeah. but uh, whether we, how, how you solve, how you address inequality, I think you should do it the Swiss way. So in Switzerland... Um, there's, you, you cannot find a nation, another nation in the world with more social harmony, um, where the, the weakest people are doing better. Singapore might be a, a candidate 
But Switzerland is doing really, really well on these terms. How do they do it? They do it through jobs. So because there's no, there's so little tax, people who do normal practical work, work like uh, gardening work or you know, other labor work, pay close to zero tax. And um, since VAT is 8%, if they want to build somebody, it's, it's their time plus a little bit VAT, and that's it. And because of that, and because it's so pro-business, Switzerland generates far more jobs than it actually has people for. And that's why 20, I think 23% of the, Swiss, the people who live in Switzerland now, including me, are first-generation immigrants. Uh, and, and they also, their companies are creating so many jobs that they keep upsetting subsidiaries all around the world. So the best way to address uh, social issues is by making people qualified to get a job and then making sure that taxes don't get there in their way, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And so on, in terms of making people qualified to get a job, it's only around 15% of the people in Switzerland become academics. So most of them do not. And, and um, in, 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 instead of trying to get everybody to uh, go through college and university and so on, the strategy is that by far the most people should take uh, practical education and then they try to deliver them at a really, really good quality. And um, if you want to go to university, you have to, um, you have to work in your holiday to pay for... Uh, your expenses because you're not getting any subsidies for that. Whereas if you take practical education, you, uh, you in most cases you actually get paid while you while you do it, and that means that it's very easy to get a job and it's extremely well paid. So they have the salaries are really really high in Switzerland. And, and a funny thing, by the way, that that. Probably not a country in the world, except maybe with the civil war, where you have more uh, machine guns than Switzerland, because every family has a machine gun at home. Wait, did you just say every family has a machine gun in Switzerland? Yeah, except foreigners, so I don't have one. <laughs> I'm a bit nervous about it. But, but there are really, really few murders with, with guns in Switzerland. <laughs> My mind just exploded. <laughs> because people, people have good lives, and you know... Uh, why, why, why have machine guns then? That's the military uh, strategy. So from your 18 to maybe 60, you have to be part of the military and you have a machine gun at home. Oh, oh, oh. So you, you have to be, and I apologize not only to you, but listeners, like, I, oh again, God. I don't claim to know everything. This is why I talk to people. But so you have to um, go into the military in Switzerland? Yeah. So well, once a year, you have to show up for a little exercise, a brush up exercise. And then until recently, people also had the ammo at home. Now they don't have it anymore, but they have the machine guns at home. Oh, I see. That is, man. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know. Well, Lars, I know um, you're on a tight schedule here, and we we definitely went an interesting way with this conversation. I love it. I love learning about these things. Um, Your book is The Creative Society, How the Future Can Be Won. For those interested, can you tell them kind of how this conversation we've had today uh, might tie into that book a little bit? Yeah, the, the book is, the book is uh, it takes the, it goes through human history and then it zooms in on why the Western civilization became so creative 
and it explained the unique things that happened in medieval Europe. And after that, it goes out and looks at how important creativity is for the survival of our civilization and uh, what might destroy it. So it also looks at all these, uh, the enemies of civilization, the people who don't understand why we got so successful and are trying to stop it because they don't understand what worked, what, why it is that our society works so well. Any, if it's, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, um, but because it did just come out. But if uh, if it's anything like the conversation we had today, I can't wait to to get into that. So I appreciate that. Well, again, Lars, thank you so much. The book is the Creative Society: How the Future Can Be Won. We will link to it directly on smartpeoplepodcast.com. I really appreciate your time, and thanks for giving us some global perspective. Always a pleasure. All right, have a great day. Thank you. All righty, bye bye. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Lars Tavide. His book, The Creative Society, How the Future Can Be Won, can be found at your local bookstore or on Amazon. If you decide to purchase the book through Amazon, please don't forget to use the Smart People Podcast Amazon link located at smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Amazon. Using our link is the simplest way to support the show at zero cost to you. When you use our link... It'll send you over to Amazon. You do your shopping as you normally would, and Amazon gives us a nice little affiliate kickback, which greatly helps out the show. Another no-cost way to support the show is heading over to iTunes or Stitcher and leaving a rating, review, comment, all of the above over there. It truly does help out the show. It helps us move up the podcast charts, and it helps us get on more people's devices. If you ever need to reach out to the show, please shoot us a message at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or send us a message on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. If you have any questions about podcasting, don't forget Chris and I are here to help. You can go to our website consulting.smartpeoplepodcast.com. Once over there, there is a very easy way to get in touch with us. We've got some great stuff coming up, so make sure you stay tuned to all things Smart People Podcast. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks to Igloo for sponsoring this week's episode of Smart People Podcast. Igloo is an intranet you'll actually like. It gives you the flexibility to get your work done how you want, where you want, and on whatever device you want. It's built with easy-to-use apps like file sharing, calendars, social news feeds, and task management. Igloo is the cloud platform that can help you do your best work. Get your free trial today at igloosoftware.com slash smart people and invite up to 10 of your favorite coworkers. workers